Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen cinemas being told to shut down as part of a more general lockdown in France, Ireland, Austria, Germany, the UK, Italy, Belgium, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Slovakia, local closure in Russia and Romania. And we've also had the Asturias and Catalonia in Spain. Some of these cinemas will have to shut down later this week at time of recording. Some were just announced over the last weekend, but that's so far the list of countries this is the box office podcast i'm daniel luria the editorial director of box office pro the only publication exclusively dedicated to theatrical exhibition here in the united states covering every country in the world in fact and i am joined here today by our co-host Rebecca Polly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro. Rebecca, welcome. It's been a another week of very interesting news. Interesting and copious. A lot of a lot of stuff to to cover today, including our our feature interview here with Laura Holgat Abbott at the of European Trade Body Unique to kind of break down what's going on in Europe right now, which is something we we spoke about in last week's episode and. Now we have stuff going on in Europe and stuff going on in the U.S. too. It's the fun never stops. A lot of a lot of breaking news really coming in over the last seven to ten days, and and more really scheduled over the next week, especially as we record this today on Election Day here in the United States. We expect to have a, a lot more headlines to influence the path of this reopening cycle globally for COVID-19. But before we jump in, a quick reminder to our listeners. We are looking for your feedback on the podcast so far. If you could take the time to answer the survey that is in the description section of this podcast on Spotify and Apple, just click on it. Let us know your thoughts. And hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to, please rate us on iTunes, on Spotify, drop a review. It allows us to do this every week. So without much further ado, Rebecca, let's jump right into it before we bring in Laura Ulgat-Abbott, the CEO of Unique, the trade association covering European exhibitors, because there's really a lot to cover. We're getting a lot of those Q3 financial reports coming in from publicly traded companies. You started with AMC this week. What were some of your insights from that earnings call? Yeah, Daniel, quarterly earnings call season, always always an interesting time. So one of the subjects that Aaron touched on is that AMC does have enough cash to get through the beginning of 2021. And he did clarify that that beginning of 2021 thing, that is a worst case scenario that assumes that AMC won't be able to raise any more capital, which of course they are looking for and, and, and raising more capital. And it assumes that attendance numbers stay as they are now. Of course, we're all hoping that that's not the case. We're all hoping that attendance numbers uh, raise because we're all hoping that the November-December release calendar, particularly a film like Wonder Woman, we're all hoping that that sticks and, and that attendance goes up as a result of that. So that's something that that AMC and every every cinema operator in the United States is, is really hoping for in order to give a bump to the financial viability of the sector. Something else that was touched on in that call, Adam Aaron kind of got ahead uh, a bit of the question of, hey, so Cineworld and Regal closed the vast majority of their locations in the UK and the US. 
are you going to be doing that? Do you have any plans to do that? And the answer that he gave was basically no. Many AMC theaters across the United States have gone to a weekend-only schedule and have between one and two showtimes per day as opposed to the usual four. So basically, they're kind of slowing down the, you know, hours per day that they're in operation, which per Aaron is the decision that makes more sense for AMC compared to uh, a full-on closure. So that's what we heard from AMC. There was also some some discussion of that much talked about AMC Universal deal that can see Universal and Focus Features titles go to Pivot as little as 17 days after their theatrical release. Adam Aaron and AMC do seem still very, very bullish on that. A quote that jumped out to me is, he said, AMC is not stuck back in 1955, and uh, we are willing to consider alternate models when it comes to streaming and, and the windows. Of course, that's uh, that's an evolving conversation, but with Universal and, and Focus titles, one of them, Kajillionaire, already came out. We have It actually already came out, and then 17 days later went to Peabod. So we've uh, already seen, we've already seen that, that shift already happen. It, it, it's yeah. not very well reported, obviously, because a, a title like Kajillionaire from director Miranda mm-hmm. July is more of an art house title that, mm-hmm. that wouldn't capture those press headlines no. than maybe the crudes will in the future. Yeah. Adam Aaron, I mean, he actually did cite internal analysis, you know, not sharing the data and, and the numbers, but that AMC made more with Kajillionaire going theatrical and then streaming 17 days later than it would have if they just stuck to the traditional three-month window. Really? So, that's, that's, yeah. very, that's very fascinating. And especially interesting because when, when, when we talk about that Universal deal, we have to compare it to what Disney has done, which is zero theatrical they're mm-hmm. just they're they've already put those two big titles one from pixar and a live action yeah, remake e- even in drive-ins can't screen mulan like even yeah. theaters that were open so what we originally thought was quite an aggressive action from universal is now looking to be really the probably most amenable partner for mm-hmm. movie theaters in this reopening phase and the long-standing sort of ally is really the one that has really jumped ship in going straight yeah. to streaming over the last couple of months. Really interesting to see how this develops. Yeah, I mean, that's to paraphrase Adam Aaron. He, he, he didn't say it this way, but basically the implication is us having this deal with AMC Universal is the only reason we're getting films in November because Universal is putting films in theaters and none of the other major studios are taking that risk because they don't have uh, that that PVOD agreement in place. So, mm-hmm. and just just this morning, as as we're recording this, Marcus also has had their own their own reporting going on. Yeah, it's it's something that we're just getting getting into our inbox as we record this. But Marcus Theaters, the number five circuit in North America and number four in the United States, just reported their Q three figures. They're in a slightly different position than a lot of other publicly traded circuits in that Marcus Theaters is slightly better positioned than its competitors from a real estate standpoint. It's a company that has over a thousand screens, mostly in the Midwest, but they do have a nationwide presence. Now, Rebecca, 80% of those locations of Marcus Theaters reopened in August, anticipating that great promise of studio support we never really saw materialized beyond Tenet. 
And really, they they were affected negatively by that subsequent lack of product after Tenet really didn't perform along expectations. So with 80% of the circuit reopened in August, Marcus Theaters went back and temporarily shut down 17 of those locations in October. Now, they have since reopened four of the 17. So as of today, they have 66%, two-thirds of its circuit currently open in the United States. They don't have plans to completely shut down that remaining third of the circuit. They do have plans to, to bring it back online once studios start committing to release dates. Of course, we really don't know when that's going to be because the December slate, as, as Sean pointed out in last week's episode, looks as tenuous as ever and mostly because of overseas developments. Before we go into the overseas conversation, let's ease into it, Rebecca, by looking at some of the IMAX results that you were able to listen in on in their Q3 earnings call. So IMAX, strangely, in 2020, there was some positive news. It's good to hear It's good to hear some of that stuff this year. But yes, they note, obviously, that the, uh, the cinema landscape in the U.S. has been slow to bounce back. Unfortunately, they have had to, to furlough some people outside of their operations in China. China. That's not the good news, obviously. So China's weekly box office grosses are actually approaching, they're at about 70% of what they were in the second half of 2019. Compared to the entirety of 2019, IMAX's market share is pretty much the same as, as what it was. And when you break it down to a more granular kind of quarterly viewpoint, they're actually gaining market share, which is really interesting because in a normal year, about 70% of the money that I that IMAX makes in China comes from Hollywood titles which right now we don't have. So that's something that we're going to hear uh, you know a little bit later in our conversation with Laura Holgott, the earnings power that local titles are having in some markets in the mm-hmm. absence of of these major Hollywood tentpoles that keep being delayed by the studios. And it's something that you brought up, Rebecca, in a conversation we had with the executive team at at Cairo Cinemas over in Europe about the importance of these premium formats in welcoming audiences back, right? Mm -hmm. And how the appeal of premium formats like an IMAX, and I'm very curious to to see what we hear from, from formats like Dolby Cinema here in the United States through AMC, because audiences have been watching everything at home and you know you've been watching everything on your tv with that sound system that return to cinemas you want as premium a big screen as possible and it really is something that we're seeing reflected by the box office Mm -hmm. data and by these imax q3 results even without the content yeah i mean that's something that imax ceo uh, rich gelfand really narrowed in on as well the fact that the people who go to imax movies they're the the super fans of movies. I mean, they're the ones who who want that premium experience and who are willing to pay the extra charges to get that. So what he really brought up in this earnings call and what he sees is that the demand is there, particularly for these formats like IMAX, which is the really uh, beautiful, wonderful theatrical experience. It's, it brings up, I think, a big question that a lot of marketers here in the U.S. are asking themselves as they appeal to audiences in, in this recovery phase and, and getting audiences back when there's no studio product. In making sure that the movie-going experience from a consumer perspective is quote-unquote worth it, right? Let's let's compare it to something that, that we're not as close to, like indoor dining. Something that I, I haven't quite done yet uh, 
here because obviously here in New York the the restrictions in New York City are a little bit more advanced than than I think in most other places in the world in what we're allowed to do. But for that first time back in the restaurant, I'm probably not going to go to McDonald's. I'm probably not going to do the Applebee's. Um, I want to quote unquote, I want to make it special. I want to make it worth it. And I think that's that's the interesting reflection with these IMAX earnings reports. No matter what that title is, we're seeing that with cinema audiences around the world. They want to go back to that like, wow, it's my first time back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a there were the October national holidays in China and and IMAX and in particular this one local release did really well then because it was an event internationally and domestically actually. Daniel, you listened into the Kinepolis call. What were the insights that you learned there? It's interesting in that that US recovery in audiences has just been statistically much lower than than we've seen across Europe. Now, Kinepolis is a multinational circuit with a number of locations across uh, several different European markets. They also have a presence in Canada. They, they own Canada's second largest circuit, uh, Landmark Cinemas. And they also have a small presence in the United States with Michigan-based MJR Digital Cinemas. So they're very diversified in the markets that, that they are open. From that Kinepolis earnings call, the one data point that really stuck out to me is that in their worldwide circuits, admissions are down around 76% year over year. That figure, if I'm not mistaken, Rebecca, is closer to around 90% for a circuit like AMC on the US alone, right? Obviously, AMC mm-hmm. is a, also a global circuit, but that figure of 90% more or less is more of a domestic snapshot. Mm-hmm. Globally, on the Canepolis side, it's it's only... Three quarters, only three quarters, I say, (laughs) between quotes. That's still way too much. But you see that difference in engagement with audiences. And and that brings us to our interview segment here on the podcast, where we had seen a much better recovery across Europe, with some individual markets doing fantastically well with national titles, as you mentioned, Rebecca. But then all of a sudden, really, it was, what, 10 days ago, when we start hearing about key European markets going dark once again. And to speak about that with us today is unique CEO, Laura Ulgat-Abbott. Thank you so much again for joining us, Laura. Let's start with, if you can just recap, which markets have already announced closings across unique territories? That's going to be the fun part of the podcast, yes. Um, so I, I've put together a list, keeping in mind that in some countries, it's very local closures that we're looking at. Uh, but over the past couple of weeks, we've seen cinemas being told to shut down as part of a more general lockdown in France, Ireland, Austria, Germany, the UK, Italy, Belgium, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Slovakia local closure in Russia and Romania. And we've also had the Asturias and Catalonia in Spain. And I don't think I'm forgetting anyone here. Some of these cinemas will have to shut down later this week at time of recording. Some were just announced over the last weekend, but that's so far the list of countries we've had. That is quite a a long and depressing list. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly is. And and what is we're seeing, you know, in, in other markets, kind of, I guess, the step below closures with curfews, with F&B restrictions, are those still in place or so, in some markets or have things kind of escalated to full closures at this point? 
Interestingly enough, a number of countries which had, you know, uh, implemented a curfew are the ones who moved ahead with closing down cinemas a couple of weeks later. So, you know, mentioning, for example, France or, you know, or Belgium. It's also interesting to mention that's really something I, I would like to focus on is that it's not cinemas that are specifically targeted as being a place which isn't safe. They are being closed as a much wider part of a, you know, more general lockdown or partial lockdown happening in all these territories. So basically to limit the kind of opportunities for people to just, you know, mix. And basically apart from going to work and doing your essential shopping, you know, that's where most of the activities stop. But cinemas are not being specifically pinpointed as a place that it would not be safe to go to. Now, what are we seeing that's different about this second closure cycle in Europe that was different from the first? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's different from the first in in a couple, you know, of of, of ways. I, th- I think the first, you know, the first one, of course, is we've seen that the lockdown are being, you know, a bit different to what they used to be. So, you know, just to mention examples, schools remain, you know, open. In all these territories, you know, we don't see a limit as such number of them in kind of how far people can go, you know, away from their from their home. But I think, you know, what what we've seen for us when it comes to cinema is again they are just being shut down as a part of, you know, limiting the you know places to which the population can go to and interact, basically, just to try to control the spikes of virus that we're seeing across. Our, our territories. I think I think it happened really fast. It's fair to say that you know we were not foreseeing this happening so quickly in terms of having second lockdowns. I think where we've been quite successful is in a number of countries. You know, governments did say that cinemas were safe places, so they did acknowledge all the efforts that were put in place by cinema operators. You know, they acknowledged that not a single case had been traced to a cinema and that basically was safe for the audience to go there. But that unfortunately, again, it was part of a more general logic of going back to an idea of a lockdown. In these closures, which which you note are across the board and, and don't target cinemas, so cinemas, restaurants, sports events, yes. all that. You know, we're seeing in some places like Wales, I think it was a a, a two week, uh, quote unquote, fire break. And in in other areas, we're seeing kind of like a two week pause. I mean, is that most of these uh, these shutdowns, are they open ended or or is there a plan to come back and and look at it after two weeks? I I know it's, it's impossible to ask you to look into the future and and say when they're going to be lifted. But does it feel to you, I mean, I know the first time around the shutdown, you, you, it kind of felt like it was going to go on until yeah. it was going to stop and nobody no, really knew that, when that was going to be. I, I think this time there is an understanding at government level that they need to give a deadline for reviewing at least the measures, that they can't just say this is open-ended and we don't know when we're going to start you know, reopening. We're going to take two weeks to review or we are telling you that the lockdown is going to last for a month. Um, so, you know, for example, Belgium has announced, you know, last week a partial lockdown that's going to last until 13 December. The UK has announced it for a month, starting from, you know, 5th November, you know, France for a month as well until 2nd December. And there is also understanding that, you know, they are going to look at the impact on the on the figures and that after two weeks or a month, there's going to be a review. 
and they're going to decide whether or not, you know, this is going to be extended, whether or not some restrictions are going to be lifted. You know, as you say, it's it's also, you know, we, we're going to have to follow, of course, what's happening with these um, with these reviews. How does this affect? I mean, some some local markets have managed to come back pretty yeah. pretty strong. I think, particularly in terms of local releases. What's been the impact among maybe these local studios in, in these countries that have been ordered to to shut down? Are any of them like, wait, I was going to put a film out this weekend? I think it's tough for everyone. I think it's tough to be honest for all the people in the industry that had decided to, you know, show, you know, their faith, of course, in, in the cinema experience. So, you know, all the distributors at local level that had decided to release their films, but also all the tremendous work that has been, you know, done again by cinemas, uh, you know, to train their staff to make sure they were going to welcome people in good condition, uh, even, you know, taking into account all the new restrictions. You know, you couldn't welcome suddenly a full auditorium, you know. You had a cap on the capacity, you know, you had, you know, to respect social distancing, you know, new health and safety measures. When you look at, you know, the reactions at local level, I think there is an understanding that as part of a more general lockdown, yes, cinemas are being shut down, but there's also a sense of, you know, disappointment because when you've worked so hard, to, you know, ensure that the experience is both safe and enjoyable. And also we've seen, you know, especially in September, titles being very successful, people coming back in numbers that really give you, you know, sense of strong optimism, dare I say. It is it is a bit of a blow. I mean, I, I don't think anyone can dispute that. In terms of lessons from the first round of closures that you're applying to this second round, what do you think the European sector has learned from that initial stage that, as you note, was a bit more open-ended, a little scarier because we didn't really know how long it would last? What are we, what are we applying from that era as we encounter this second round? I mean, I would not dare uh, speaking on behalf of all my members on what they have learned because I think they've all They've all shown, you know, how hard they worked during the first period of, you know, close down. Uh, both, you know, national associations and keeping in touch with all their members, ensuring that people are receiving support when and if possible. You know, also all the work that's been done by cinema operators to keep in touch with their audiences, to keep in touch with their staff, to also, you know, prepare for the reopening. And I think that's, you know, the same logic is going to apply for for the second wave, you know. But I can't, you know. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I can tell you exactly what are the best lessons they've learned. I, I think. I think what we've seen for sure, and I can really admire that, is just the the enormous passion and work that goes into that business, which we all knew before this happened. But it was really displayed for me during this challenging period we are, we find ourselves in. And, and us at Unique, for example, I know what the lesson we've learned is, you know, sharing, you know, information of everything that's happening in other countries, you know, all types of financial support that are being implemented and that can inspire some other governments, you know, sharing experiences around audience initiatives. How do you keep in touch with your audience? I think the protocols for health and safety are here already and they've shown they were, you know, successful and that they worked really well. So, you know, this is something that we will still continue to build on. 
And of course, ensuring that we remain in touch with our partners in the industry as well. So, you know, trying to, for me to, you know, keep that kind of relationships going. So relationship with your national government and authorities, relationship with your audience, relationship with your partners. I think that's key for sure. Before this this second wave of shutdowns, to to rewind it a bit, what are the markets in 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 Uniques? I believe it's 35? 38. 38. I almost had it. I was close. <laughs> almost 30. <there. laughs> 38, 38, uh, 38 countries that are represented in Unique. Are there some that were able to to bounce back over over the fall? Uh, maybe more than was expected, more than their neighbors. You know, are there any kind of of those that you'd like to highlight from looking back before the second wave of shutdown to to a happier time? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've seen you know really you know some some su- territories that are more successful than than others. You know, especially where you had availability of new titles, uh, you know, both US and, and European. I think the Netherlands is the one I'm always quoting because from week one, the audience was back uh, in the screening room in, in numbers and they achieved quite amazing results given that their capacity for a long time was limited to 30 people. Uh, you know, maximum 30, so free zero, oh, only wow. 30. I know. And then that increased a bit and then that decreased again to 30. And, you know, from one week to another in September, uh, they, they, they even managed to have a positive box office figures compared to last year, which was... <laughs> That's baffling. great news. Yeah, which was really baffling, you know, and, and that for me was really a great example. France did really well. I mean, they were, they're very lucky in the sense they had a diversity of titles to show. Um, to their audiences. So they really managed to, you know, attract a lot of people. It's sad to say that, you know, the most successful weekend since reopening in France was the one just before the second lockdown, for example. So, you know, it really added Ooh. insult to injury. That's, <laughs> that's if rough. I can say that. <laughs> yeah. We also had, you know, Denmark that had really successful titles being released. And, and I think the title, if I'm not mistaken, the title Druck, my Danish is not where it used to be, but uh, which okay. was released on, on at the end of September was the best, you know, debut performance for a Danish drama for the past seven years, for example. So we've had really, you know, a lot of success stories. And actually this is, if anyone is interested in finding all these success stories, they can drop us a line because we've been compiling them in a document, territory by territory, you know, really highlighting the successful titles, comparing them to, you know, other titles in the previous years. And, 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 I, and I think, again, it really highlighted that the, the audience was ready to come back and it was coming back. And it's really something that we are, you know, really emphasizing when we talk, you know, with all our you know, partners, but also stakeholders. And of course, in my job here, lobbying the European institutions to you know, ensure that cinemas you know, are not forgotten and, and can you know, benefit from support is that this is an industry that in Europe made 8.8 billion euros last year, you know, and you just can't underestimate that. And uh, thanks again for, for joining us, Laura. There's been just so many questions that we've had in, in understanding this very sudden second round of shutdowns. Here in the United States, the fear is that a second round of shutdowns might put some cinemas out of business. And I say that with some major markets like New York City, like Los Angeles, still closed. 
and still with no visibility whatsoever on when to open. I guess I have a two-part question. I'll start with my first part. How precarious is this second shutdown financially for European cinemas? Is it something that could potentially put folks out of business, or is that state aid really making a difference at this time? So... I think the first question is also linked to the second. Yes, state aid really makes a difference where it exists. And this is why we are pushing at all levels, you know, local, national, European, to ensure that cinemas can benefit from support. Um, because we know that, you know, with, without, you know, any kind of financial support, it will be extremely challenging for, you know, some of our guys to survive that period. And what we're, we were lucky enough to, you know, see that period of reopening and being able to actually showcase that, again, the audience was coming back to the cinema and that investing in cinemas right now was investing in a business that was, you know, that had been very successful. And it's a whole combination of state aid. And again, I would refer people to our website where we compile absolutely all the sources and all information about all our territories about financial support. But it is a in my opinion, indispensable bridge to ensure that we can see the other side of 2020. And it can take very different forms. Again, you know, it, it's, as I always say, unfortunately, there's not an ideal country that combines all the help that, you know, that you could, you know, wish for if you are a cinema operator. But, you know, we're looking at support for rent. We're looking at support for your staff and employees. So anything like, you know, furlough schemes. We're looking at, you know, support, you know, to losses incurred, you know, by cinemas, you know, like for tickets that are not sold. We're looking at, you know, again, a whole variety, you know, of, of different schemes. And, and, and I do think for me that, you know, again, in my opinion, these are really crucial. And this is why perfect timing again for recording. This is what we've issued this morning, a statement, a press release. Uh, that went out, you know, widely to the press, but, you know, first and foremost to national governments and European institutions calling for financial support for cinemas because we know we're going to need it and we need it now. We can't wait six months. You know, we can't afford to wait for six months or a year before this financial support is actually, you know, being given. And that's the issue we've had in some countries, for example, where, yes, support has been promised, but the money has not been seen yet. And then you have, you know, good, good students where, you know, support has been strong and support has been effective and where it's also supported of kind of cinemas. And I'm going to finish with this. It's also a message that we are, you know, carrying out there is that all cinemas need support. You know, it's, it, it, it's really to ensure that we can maintain the diversity of cinemas we're lucky to have here in Europe. We need to make sure they can all benefit from some kind of support. Great. Well, thanks so much for, for joining and, and taking the time to, to speak with us today. Thank you. This is the Box Office Podcast. This episode has been written by myself, Rebecca Polly, and Daniel Luria, and produced by Record Edit Podcast. Please take a second to look in the description uh, of this podcast episode and give us your feedback on uh, what you'd like to hear more of, what you'd like to hear less of. We'd all like to hear more of big tentpole movies coming out, but we'll do our best. Thank you and so much. And leave us a review. <laughs> give us a review. Uh, rate us if you like us. Don't rate us if you don't like us. 
Yeah, important. Our bosses read it. So come on, please. (laughs) Be nice to us. Thanks so much to Laura Holgott-Abbott of Unique for appearing on this episode. And thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe and tune back in next week for more news on what's going on in the global exhibition industry.